The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. Good morning. We're going to be talking today about a portion of the Song of Moses, which we had just read in its entirety. It's a portion that many of you probably will be familiar with as far as some of the language. Though we are often quoting it from other parts of Scripture, it gets mentioned at times because Dave has used it at times when he talks about the Divine Council doctrine. No, I'm not going to be talking about the Divine Council. Surprise, I know, for some of you. We're just going to be looking at the praise of Yahweh in the song. Who is like you among the gods, Yahweh? Who is like you? Glorious in holiness, awesome in praiseworthy actions, doing wonders. I did want to stop. This morning, we got back into our 10 o'clock meditation, uh, Lord's Supper meeting, and uh, one of the guys usually has a little message, and it's just a little devotion. And I was, you know, one of those God moments. It was just interesting uh, that this morning it was a little reading from Charles Spurgeon. And it blew me away because at the very end, it was like, you're, for those who were here and heard it, unfortunately, people who are listening can't. It, it's just interesting because it, it 100% tied into the message today. So it's just, it baffles me sometimes. Anyway, so this is the verse we're going to be dealing with. Who is like among you? Who is like you among the gods, Yahweh? Who is like you? Glorious in holiness, awesome and praiseworthy actions, doing wonders. It just dawned on me, you know, he's awesome in what happened this morning. Now, the full song that we've just read was in verses 1 through 21. These words, though they appear in the middle of the song, are more kind of like what you would find, expect to find at the end of the song. But in seeing all that God has done to his people, Moses was moved to admire and sing blessings to him. And so he doesn't wait till the end. He breaks forth in the middle. These words are part of Moses' song, on the occasion of the goodness of God in delivering his people from Egypt and bringing them safely through the Red Sea. This is the most ancient song and the first that we actually get in Scripture. Many hundreds of years later, we get songs by those who were maybe more skillful in poetry than this, but this is the first that we see, the first song. This song is not only a most excellent spiritual song, but it is full of elegance. It deals with a matter of great variety. It is Eucharistical, triumphant, prophetical, and is a good example of what modern congregational worship should emulate. This song of Moses is such a delightful song that it becomes a standard by which God's people would revisit in future generations. We find God mentioning it would be sung when he pours out his promises to his people, as described in Hosea. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer, or sing, as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. Hosea 2.15 And again, when the mercy of Yahweh comes up to his people, it will be sung again. Just like it was sung during the first exodus, it was likewise to be sung during the second exodus, as they were told it would be sung in their latter days when Christ overcame the enemies. In Revelation, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God, 
in their hands. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the great Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteousness acts, your righteous acts have been revealed. The bondage of the people during the time period can be symbolically compared to the bondage of the people we're under in Egypt, as we know more clearly, because we are told that the enemies of that time of Revelation were, and the dead bodies were in, would lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. So at that time, we had the symbolism of the bondage of people to Egypt. So it is an important song indeed, used by the people of Yahweh at times when he was to be greatly praised. Not that he shouldn't always be greatly praised, of course. But we leave looking at the general song, and we turn to focus on this small section that essentially recapitulates the song's content. Moses' song lays out many particulars about Yahweh, but now he states briefly the main thrust of the song. It is as if he says, I have told you many particulars, but let us pause to note that there is none like the Lord, who is glorious in holiness, fearful in praise, and doing wonders. In fact, we see four main pillars of focus here. One, there is none like the Lord. Two, he is glorious in holiness. Three, he is awesome in his deeds. Four, he is doing wonders. We begin with the first. This is written in the form of an interrogation of sorts. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness? Who is like you? An interrogation in Scripture is typically brought about in two ways. First, by way of an admiration. Secondly, by way of a negation. There are many examples of each of these in Scripture. But here in this verse, we find them both together. First, by admiration. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? And so on. Struck by astonishment at the, song of, at the glory of Yahweh being manifested by the great works he has done, Moses and the people have to exclaim admiration for him. Who is like you, O Lord? But also by way of negation. Who is like you, O Lord? I know they all sound the same, right? To which the assumed answer is, there is none other like you. Yahweh so glories in his expression of his glory that there is none like him. This is often expressed throughout Scripture, like in First Chronicles. There is none like you, O Lord, and there is no God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And similar to our passage, we see it mentioned in Psalm 86 and Psalm 89, which is the verses usually used when we discuss the divine counsel. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. We could go on and on with such examples, for the people of Yahweh have gloried much in it, and for good cause, as they should, and as we should also. It can be said, it is said of the godly Maccabees, that by first, at first, by reason, their name was an offense. When it came to this sentence, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods, they were quite taken by it. Because of it, they wrote the first Hebrew letter of every word in this sentence, in their banner of war, and carried them with them. 
Because of this, they were called the Maccabees, glorifying in the titles, who is like you. As the Hebrew scholarly Wikipedia puts it, and I'm not going to try to pronounce these these Hebrew words, (laughs) the traditional Jewish explanation is that Maccabee is an acronym for the Torah verse that was the battle cry of the Maccabees, that word. Or translated, who is like you among the heavenly powers, Lord, as well as an acronym for that other word, <laughs> that other sets of words. I would butcher it, and then somebody would have to write me and make nasty comments about it. So, so based on the same thought process, the Holy Spirit concludes that all people should honor and glorify Yahweh because there is none like him. As mentioned before from Psalm 86, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. But then mark what follows in verses 9 through 12. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. So you can see how the writer was taken with the expression of Yahweh, so much so that since there is none like him, he asked to be taught the ways of the Lord, that he may walk in his truth. How often is that a prayer of ours? Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Yahweh is lifted up here to be declared above any and all other gods, whether real spiritual beings, man-made idols, or even highly esteemed human leaders. He is higher than any and all that they could consider. Anything that is held esteemed or attributed with excellencies, Yahweh is lifted up above them all, for there is none like him. There is none like Yahweh, for whatever is in Yahweh is Yahweh himself. This is the property of Yahweh. No other created thing has any excellency in it that can come close to reaching his excellency. What a created thing has in it is the being of that thing, and what it contains pales in comparison to the excellency of what God contains within himself. We may see how one creature may be made to have a small part or attribute of Yahweh within it, and another creature may have yet a different attribute of God granted to it, but none contain the whole of the attributes as only Yahweh possesses, and all that is in him is original to him, and only a pale copy is passed upon to his creation. But it is enough that we should take note, for as we are told, For this invisible attribute, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. As one Puritan put it, and all that is in him is originally in him. He is of himself and from himself and for himself. Then none can communicate himself as God can. None can confirm inflict, or convey good as God can. And the ability to communicate the attributes is very limited for the created, but it is not so for Yahweh, who can communicate as much of himself as he wills. And while we, the created beings of Yahweh, have only a small amount or number of drops of goodness in comparison to the infinite ocean that is in Yahweh himself, yet still we cannot communicate them as we may wish to do. 
Yahweh does not have such a problem as that and communicates what he wills, how he wills, and when he wills. And not only that, but when communicating his goodness, he can make the creature to be as sensible to his goodness as he pleases. Don't we wish that we were even close to having some ability to do that? Someone may do all they can to communicate their goodness to someone else, but we cannot make them be sensible of the goodness that we may wish to bestow. But Yahweh can. Similarly, when it comes to inflicting evil, there is none like Yahweh in that. He is able to let out all evil, to bring it all at once, and none else can do so. And, we can make the, and he can make the creature upon which he inflicts the evil to be as sensible of the evil as he wills. As creatures, someone can hurt another, but they cannot make them as sensible of that hurt as they might desire. But Yahweh can. He can bring all evil together, and he can make the creature as sensible to it as he desires, and this alone is his ability. He alone can do good, and he alone can do evil like this, and that is why there is none like him. And because there is none like him, there is none to be worshipped as he is to be worshipped nor is there any to be honored as he is to be honored. Once we can truly grasp this concept, it is exceedingly useful to the course of our whole lives as a way to order our thoughts about and towards Yahweh. We can easily take note and pay homage to the beauty and excellencies that we see in the created world around us. We should use this to note just how finite these created things are in comparison to the infinite distance there is between Yahweh and the glories of creation. Lack of comprehending and contemplating this is the cause of much evil in the world. While truly apprehend, uh, apprehending it as a special means for us to glory, glorify and acknowledge Yahweh as God, as we should, Yahweh allows us to let our hearts affix and take comfort in the beauty and excellencies of the creation, but only if we do so while always acknowledging that it is His excellencies that we are seeing. When we look into things with the spiritual heart, we have more freedom to let our heart go out to the comforts of the creature than any in the world, because we can meet with and taste the Lord there in them. And even though we have permission to do this, it is only to be done if we reserve our hearts to Yahweh. If we are not careful and we fail to maintain awareness to the infinite excellencies that are in God above all creatures, we may soon fall off from glorifying Yahweh as God and our hearts will stick to the creature. Let it not be said to us that we exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. This has been the way that much of the outward and spiritual idolatry in the world began. Men seeing some kind of excellency and worth in the creature or creation like the sun, the moon, or the stars, do initially acknowledge God as being above them, as they are but created things. But over time, they looked upon the creation too much, and being taken by the excellencies that they saw there, their hearts soon forgot the infinite better God, and stayed focused on the creation, turning into idolatry. While letting our hearts lose focus can be an easy thing, The remedy is to endeavor to stay fresh and strong on this front by always remembering the infinite distance between God and all of the creaturely comforts that he provides in creation.
keeping that infinite disproportion between God and the creature, creation in mind, will help maintain a focused heart that will not fall into spiritual idolatry. And if we maintain an acknowledgement that there is this overwhelming height of excellency in Yahweh that is infinitely higher than any of, the all, cre- of all creation, there should likewise in our hearts be an infiniteness in the distance and disproportion between the amount of esteem that we hold for the creation versus that which we hold for Yahweh. As long as we keep that in mind, our heart can be given to and find great joy in the created things of Yahweh, while always keeping in mind the infinite distance between the two figures, as well as the distance between the esteem paid to each. This is the theme mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. Back in 2016, I did a message on Ecclesiastes, which the theme is also found there. I just wanted to repeat a small section from that regarding chapter 2 of the book of Ecclesiastes. In chapter 2 as a whole, the section is where Solomon is speaking of of trying all of the pleasures of the world, looking for some kind of satisfaction. And he comes to the latter part of the chapter. He states this similar theme that we are speaking of. As mentioned in that passage, verse 24 is typically translated as, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. A more accurate translation of nothing better, many scholars would say, is that of what is more closely used in Young's literal translation, giving us this wording, there is nothing inherently good in a man that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This is acknowledging that man, as created, has nothing naturally within him that he should find enjoyment in the things of creation. And then we continue reading this verse, we find that the theme that we're speaking of today is even brought out further. For there is nothing inherently good in a man that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, the the enjoyment, I saw is from the hand of God For apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Natural man gathers and collects, but has not the inherent ability to truly enjoy as it all becomes vanity to him. But to the man that is pleasing to God, Yahweh gives the wisdom, the knowledge, and the joy to enjoy the things of creation. Or as modern reformer Douglas Wilson wrote, this is his loosely interpretation, every person is given an abundance of cans of peaches, but only the child of God is given a can opener. Now back to our verse at hand. We see that there is none like Yahweh. Likewise, there is therefore none like the people of Yahweh. For as man's God is, so is the man. If a covetous man makes riches his God, his heart's focus will greatly influence how others judge him in life. Likewise, if the saints of God have chosen Yahweh to be their God, and if there is none like him, then it must follow that there are no people like God's people. God's people are often seen as being different and set out from other people, because of who their God is. Like in Deuteronomy 33, where we are told, there is none like God, O Jeshurun, who 
who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. Happy are you, O Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by Yahweh? The glory of God is, or for sure should be, reflected clearly by the saints. For the people have their heart placed upon his wonderful excellency. As it has been stated many times from this pulpit, the people of Yahweh are image bearers of their God. If we have a close relationship and fellowship with Yahweh, if we esteem him in our hearts and in our connections with creation, the outcome would be a reflection of him to the world around us. And so, if there is none like the Lord, and if he is so infinitely excellent above all, then it follows that there are none like his people who are in communion with him. We get this connection through scripture often, like Second Samuel. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to, that we have, according to all that we have heard from our ears. But pay, pay close attention to what follows this proclamation about the greatness of Yahweh. And who is like your people, Israel? The people of God are as their God is, and there is none like them. In Exodus 33, Moses speaks of the wonderful works of God for his people, and because of that, he proclaims in this fashion, we are distinct, I and your people and every other people on the face of the earth. Or as some translations say, the original is to be understood, the word distinct can be rendered as wonderfully separated, which is what the people of God actually are and should likewise reflect. Since we are wonderfully separated from those in the world because of having a God like no other, it should follow that none should do for their God as we should do for Yahweh. For if there is none like Yahweh, would it not be a shame that any who choose other gods should do more for their gods than we do for Yahweh? Certainly no one has a God like ours, yet do we have an earnestness of spirit to do more for Yahweh than they do for their false gods? Nowadays, when mankind has chased after and worshipped the ideologies of science and humanism and many anti-Christian views, they have done much to change the world around us. Have Christians done more for the much higher, true God than these idolaters? Sadly, that is rarely the case these days. It was not always so, but it has been the case now for quite a while. The church is no longer a central authority or respected entity in this world but has become a mockery to most. It has been quite a while since they have, there has been a projection of the high and mighty awesomeness of their Lord. They are no longer an image bearer of the excellencies of a high Yahweh, but have become a frail, pale, and weak, cowering body who have built a bubble around themselves to keep the world out. They have allowed the worshipers of other gods to do more for their gods than the church does for Yahweh, and we are reaping the results of that in our times. All for a return to the hearts of God's people being inflamed after Yahweh and not to be content with cold and dead worship. Among other exhortations for Christian living, Paul instructs in Romans, saying, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. It is the infinitely high Lord, higher than all else, that we serve, and we should be fervent in spirit, serving him more than the surrounding idolaters serve their false gods. Are Christians more active in the world, making more progress for Yahweh in the kingdom, more progress than those who do not serve Yahweh? J. 
Jeremiah 50, 38 speaks of a land full of idolatrous images and that the people are as madmen who boast in their idols. The people of God then should have their hearts run after Yahweh in such a manner too, that those who look upon them would think them as madmen, for indeed they should be for Yahweh. Whenever the hearts of the saints are fully after God, they are looked upon as madmen. Even Paul was viewed as a madman by Festus. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. We should not be afraid when the world reproaches us for such a thing, for we know the ways of Yahweh are not always understood to the carnal minds in the world around us. We should do all that we do with the glory of God in our mind and our heart. It is a shame if other men's hearts are more for their gods than the heart of the saints is for Yahweh, because there is none like our God. And sad is the case when the people of God turn their hearts from Yahweh to worship the creation. We should heed the words of Jeremiah as a warning when we are told, at that time, declares the Lord, the bones of the kings of Judah, the bones of its officials, the bones of the priests, the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be brought out of their tombs, and they shall be spread before the sun and the moon and all the hosts of heaven which they have loved and served, which they have gone after, and which they have sought and worshipped. And they shall be gathered, and they shall not be gathered or buried, they shall be as dung on the surface of the ground. So many expressions of idolatry in such few words. It is shocking to see the strength of the heart towards idols like this. And they shall be spread before the sun and the moon and all the hosts of heaven. And what about these created things did their hearts do? They loved. They served them. They've gone after them. They have sought them. And they have worshipped them. So many sad points in one small sentence. Many of these things... Same things can be said for the saints of God and their earnestness towards and concerning Yahweh, for there is none like him. And what does it cost us to set our hearts upon Yahweh? Isaiah 46 reveals to what extent some idolaters go for their God. Those who lavish gold and the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a God. Then they fall down and worship. Now, they apparently did not care about the cost, for they were using gold for their idolatry. Are the saints willing to give up a great cost for Yahweh? And no, I'm not talking about tithing. I'm not talking about giving money to large churches or greedy leaders. But what expenses are we willing to sacrifice for having our hearts set upon our God? What would we be willing to lose of our creaturely comforts in order to serve Yahweh in a better or purer way? There is none like our Yahweh, and it would be a shame if they do more for their gods than we do for ours. And what about suffering? We hear almost weekly from this pulpit the stories of saints around the world going through great persecutions and sufferings in the faith. In 1 Kings 18, we hear that the priests of Baal, what they did for their gods, they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Would we be willing to suffer anything that Yahweh may call us to endure? The apostles and the early followers of Christ counted it a blessing to suffer for his name. Would modern saints today feel the same way? 
There's more that can be said on this front, on this point, but let's conclude it and move on by reminding that there is none like Yahweh. He is above all. When your hearts, therefore, are in a good frame towards God, lifted towards Him, take heed that they are not lifted towards any creature or created thing in the same manner as they are towards Yahweh, for, their, for your service to Him must be suitable to the nature He holds. Since there is none like Him, then no service tendered to anything else should compare with that service tendered to Him. We must always exclaim, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Now let us look at the second clause. How, is, how He is glorious in holiness. The word here can signify magnificence or of being noble and can be found used to state how Yahweh is magnificent and noble in his holiness. Let it be understood that to be deemed holy is to be of the greatest magnificence and the greatest nobility and height of spirit that can be. This sets out the excellency of holiness, for this is how Yahweh is. To be glorious in holiness, as our verse says, is also sometimes viewed as glorious in holy things. That is to say, he is glorious in his holy angels, glorious in his holy saints, glorious in his holy word, glorious in his holy ordinances, and glorious in his holy worship. And while these points are indeed true, we're going to keep the focus on the holiness instead of the holy things. In looking at the majesty or gloriousness of his holiness in this title, we can look at three points. First, to show a little of what holiness in God is. Secondly, to open up how God is said to be glorious in holiness. And third, to see how Yahweh has this title given to him. In other words, why is he said to be majestic and glorious in holiness and not in power? Since it was an act of power that Yahweh put forth in the destruction of the Egyptians and the deliverance of his people in our story. So first, what is the holiness in God? We can understand this in similar ways as we understand most things about Yahweh by way of negation, or of what it is not, rather than what it is. It can be said that Yahweh's holiness stems from his nature being free from all kinds of mixture, from any evidence of the slightest dirt or filth of sin. It does not have these things, therefore it is deemed wholly free of such stain. Similarly, God is called light because light is so pure and free from mixture or of pollution so that it can be amongst the filthy things while being not defiled itself. By that, Yahweh can work with sin itself and not be defiled by it because of his nature. If we want to look at the topic from a positive position, we can describe it as the infinite uprightness or perfection of the will of God whereby he wills and works all things as they are suitable to the infinite excellency of his own being. Since the excellency of Yahweh is the highest and therefore the rule of all excellency and the will of God being always suitable and unable to vary in the least from his own infinite excellency, that is the rule of all holiness. Let us first look a little at the holiness of the creature, and by that we can see a little something of the holiness of God. For just as you cannot look at the glory of the sun by staring directly at it, you can picture 
a little more clearly from a reflection off the water. So it is also the same way in trying to perceive the glory of Yahweh directly. By looking at the creature, we can behold a reflection or a beam of it in order to come to see something of the holiness of Yahweh. To think of the holiness of a creature, we look at the separation of something from common things to be used or dedicated in some immediate manner to Yahweh for a more holy use. Similarly, the holiness of the saints is the separation of their spirits from all common things and dedication to God as their highest and last end. To work and dedicate all to God as our utmost end, to seek to make all we do to be for his highest end, is to pursue a holiness suitable to Yahweh. So it is in God's holiness. God's holiness is a dedication, as it were, of God to himself. That is, God being of and from himself and having himself as his own last end gives up himself to himself and wills himself as the highest and utmost end and so wills all things in order to himself as the last and highest end. This is the holiness of God. And the image of this holiness is that stamp and work of grace that is upon the creature. Another quote by Jeremiah Burroughs. So it is that when a creature is enabled to make Yahweh the highest end and all things in subordination to him, then the creature is said to be holy because it has a stamp of God's holiness upon it. But when we speak of Yahweh being glorious in holiness, how is that to be understood? He is glorious in all of his attributes and works. And there is not one thing within him that is more majestic or glorious than another. For every attribute of God is itself equally glorious. From the creature standpoint, though, we tend to comprehend some attributes as being more glorious than others. Because of our perception, the saints of God tend to especially glory in Yahweh as being holy. And because of that, we find many instances in Scripture proclaiming that position. Like Psalm 99 Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. Due to the saints looking upon, understanding, and acknowledging Yahweh as holy, it becomes a main and special focus of praise towards him. Even those divine angels that surround Yahweh Look up on him and likewise point out and especially exalt him because of his holiness. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Likewise, we hear a similar proclamation from the four creatures in Revelation and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who, has, who was and is and is to come. It is also interesting to note that no other attribute of God is ever found mentioned three times together like this. It is true that God is infinite in power and in wisdom as much as he is in holiness. Yet nowhere do we find in Scripture that God is said to be wise, 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 or almighty, almighty, almighty. Isaiah 57 tells us the very name of Yahweh is holy. And in Amos, God himself 
swears by his own holiness. For there is nothing greater that he could swear by than himself. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. And the Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, and then it continues with the swear, this oath there. Yahweh glories in heaven itself, and for it is the inhabitation of his holiness. It is the inhabitation of his very glory and majesty. It is there where Yahweh can let out his majesty and glory more fully, and the top of that glory is his very holiness. His throne is his holiness. We are told about Yahweh, look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne or the throne of his holiness. Earthly kings have been known to make large, high and lifted up thrones full of majesty and beauty. But the throne of God is his very holiness and nothing man can create can even come close to it in its majesty. And just like we have discussed how there is none like our God and therefore none like the people of God, When Yahweh rejoices in his people, he does it as they are a holy people. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples of the earth, all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Another way to see Yahweh as majestic and and glorious in his holiness is in his acts and his infinite excellence in the use of his power. When he acts, he does not react, nor does he have the least bit of mixture of evil in the exercising of his mighty power, but he maintains the holiness throughout. This is rarely the case with men. It is often a very hard thing for a man to do great things and to manifest great power without some mixture of evil. Often, when we do ordinary and common works, we may not as quickly manifest our uncleanness and filth. But when we aim to do great things, it is a very hard thing to do without a mixture of evil. All it takes is to have our anger stirred up a little, and we easily start to release and reveal the filth within us. A man may be very loving and meek when, it is, when he's in a pleased state in life, but let anything stir up his passions and a great amount of filth will usually appear. Like a pond that is full of mud at the bottom, but clear at the top, once stirred up becomes nothing but filth. Yet here is the glory of Yahweh, that when he manifests his wrath, and a mighty and sore wrath it may be, yet he is still glorious in holiness, even in wrath. He is infinitely powerful in his wrath and in his execution of his judgments, and yet he remains infinitely holy in his holiness too. Oh, how we should seek to imitate Yahweh in this manner. If we have a passionate spirit and are easily provoked to reveal an abundance of filthiness, we can see how unlike Yahweh we are. We may be displeased with that which is sinful, and we may seek to corrupt those, to correct those under our authority, but we must be sure to keep that which is the beauty of all in correcting others, and that is holiness. Yahweh is great in power, and in it he keeps the glory of his holiness at all times. His name is glorious because of his holiness, because it is the special end to all of his work to advance holiness. An earthly artist shows art in the beginning of his work, 
But when he is complete, the finished product reveals the excellency of his workmanship. Similarly is it with Yahweh. Yahweh would be honored in all of his works of creation and providence, but when he completes a work, when he comes to the height and, height and zenith of it, it is revealed that he might be honored as a holy God and that he might have a holy people to honor him here and to all eternity. When Yahweh created heaven and earth, in all of his works of providence, he does so while aiming all things at holiness. His son was sent into the world to redeem to himself a people to serve Yahweh in holiness. It is the end of the great counsel of God from all eternity to manifest this beauty of his own holiness in these two great attributes, mercy and justice. These are branches of his holiness. Another branch of his holiness is his faithfulness. In all of his works mentioned in our story, he manifests his faithfulness by fulfilling the promise to his people. Yahweh promised to preserve his people and to deliver them, and he fulfilled these promises against the Egyptians. When he manifested his faithfulness, Moses and the people extol his name by the great title of glorious in holiness. The application of all of this is that you may observe whether or not you have understood Yahweh correctly. Ask yourself this question. What is the excellence of Yahweh that your heart most clings to? We may speak much of his excellency and say we love God. We delight in him and bless and honor him. But what is it in Yahweh that draws your heart to him and causes your soul to love him, delight in him, and bless him? Is it simply out of gratitude for maybe him showing you mercy, that he has pardoned your sin, saved your soul, and it will bring you into the heavenly realm? Sure, those are things we should love and bless Yahweh for, but there should be more. We must learn of, see, and focus on the person of Yahweh and his excellencies and set our hearts on the person of Yahweh in his excellency and what is that excellency but his holiness and all of its branches. Has the light of the infinite holiness of God ever come to bear so much on your heart that it drew your heart to him because of it? Has your heart ever leapt at the sight of the brightness of his holiness? Is this the reason you love Yahweh? If so, then you may know Yahweh correctly and your heart has been properly drawn unto him. We may love out of a sense of gratitude, sure, but once we grow to know the Father more, we can begin to properly love him strictly for who he is and not just for what we perceive he has done for us. If the beauty of God's holiness is the thing that draws our heart to love Yahweh, then the same proportion, in, in the same proportion will the beauty of holiness in all other things draw your hearts to them likewise. Then you can look unto his saints as glorious in holiness and upon his, worksh- on his worship and his word and the ordinances as also glorious in holiness. And your heart will be drawn to them as unto Yahweh. Once we know Yahweh as we ought to, we can take even greater comfort in knowing of his holiness. For we know when we deal with him, it will be in holiness. We find much unholiness when we interact with men, but not so with God. It may be a rare thing to meet with a friend who has a clean and pure heart, who has no mixture in him. One who is holy in his ends and his aims, with the spirit free from guile. To have such a friend in a relationship is indeed a great blessing 
though it may be very rare. But a true delight it should be to know that no matter when, whenever we meet with God, it is an infinite purity and holiness in whom there is no mixture at all. When dealing with men, we do not always know what we will find, but that is not always the case. That is not the case at all with Yahweh. It is truly a vexation of the saints when outwardly their ways seem notable and outstanding and their spirits may seem like, likely as notable, but upon becoming more intimate with them, they reveal, reveal an abundance of filth in their spirits. Though this is troublesome to us, we are blessed to know that it is not the case when we deal with Yahweh. Man may have a bit of excellency within him, but not always the grace in their hearts to which to work it suitably. Yahweh always works suitable to his eminence and excellency, and what a comfort that should be to a gracious soul against all of the evil that we meet with in the spirits of men among whom, whom we communicate with. As was touched upon before, due to Yahweh's glorious and holy, due to Yahweh's glorious and holiness, his saints are also glorious in holiness. As the people of God, we are a holy people, and he is as he is and as he is holy, so likewise ought we to be holy. As image bearers, our task in life is to be a visible representation in this realm of the glorious holiness in the spiritual realm. If we belong to him who is in infinitely glorious in holiness, we are declared to be a holy people in him. Holiness is one of the attributes that Yahweh communicates to us differently than other attributes. When it is said he communicates his knowledge to us or his power, it is not said that, he, that we are actually partakers in his divine nature by that communication. But when he communicates his holiness, we are said and told that we do partake in it. And he, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness, Hebrews 12. Note, we share or partake of his holiness. He puts his wonderful glory and excellency upon us, enabling us to work and act as him in our dealings. Is it permanent? Not usually. But the closer we are to knowing him, to being in close communion with him, to abiding in him and in his excellency more frequently, the more prone we are to receive and display his attributes to the world around us as a true image bearer should. By the power and declaration of holiness to his people by Yahweh, we are made fit to be to have communion with him. And by continued and deeper communion with him, we can partake in more of his life and the holiness therein. And this closeness not only puts his glory upon the person, but also on what the person has and does. It sanctifies what it comes into contact with, just like the temple and the altar did. We're told, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? The natural actions and ways of God's common providence are sanctified to his people. By virtue of his holiness that is put upon us, there is a luster upon all the good that they enjoy. Just as Yahweh's holiness puts a luster on all of his attributes, the holiness of the saints likewise places a luster upon their works, their names, and their conversation with others. There is a beauty on it all because of the holiness of Yahweh. Holiness is that which separates the creature for God and eternal life. There is a twofold separation of a creature for God. We are told in Psalms, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. 
He is set apart passively. He is declared holy. Then he has the active principle to set himself apart for Yahweh. This is similar to the abiding in Christ that we have heard over and over in the Gospel of John. This is our portion in life, and this comes from us drawing and staying close in communion with Yahweh so that his holiness will more and more become our holiness in life. In his eternal election, Yahweh has set apart those people that he wishes to save unto himself. They have been graciously and without merit set apart from the rest of mankind as a special portion to, li- to which he will magnify the riches of his grace and have them live unto and with him for all eternity. This was the purpose of the work of his Son, to bring forth the holy people to Yahweh. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who, bro- who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, if Yahweh were to open the heavenly realm right here in this building, ceiling opens up, and he were to look down and point to one man or woman here in the congregation and declare, be it known to all the world that I from eternity have set apart this person, to glorify them with myself forever. Everyone around would look upon that person as glorious indeed. We must realize, though, that if God has called you and claimed you to be his, it is not much different at all. He has stamped the image of his holiness upon you, has given you as much honor from himself as if he had verbally spoken to the group. It is a glorious thing to understand how it is that Yahweh has declared from all eternity that you be set apart. But how much more glorious when you realize that he has given a principle of his own spirit into you to assist and enable you to know him more fully and consecrate yourself to him. Again, to be declared so is passive. To be given the spirit and life to do so is active. Ask yourself this question. Which of these two scenarios is worse? Which is eviler? To live in active unholiness? or to be totally reprobate. To be reprobate, meaning void of all spiritual life and all knowledge, and to die in your sins justly. Or to be declared and given holiness, to be given a portion of Yahweh and His Son, and yet then live contrary to that grace. Which would be worse? While some may fear being found within the group who are deemed reprobate, being set apart by Yahweh from eternity to be put to to be those upon whom the glory of his justice is displayed, that is indeed terrible. But the other situation, being actively engaged in unholiness, is such a much worse situation. Being found reprobate is passive. Being declared holy and living opposite to that calling is to actively set yourself apart. Holiness makes the name of Yahweh to be revered, even in his people. The holiness of the saints puts a revered respect upon him in the conscience of wicked men. Even the vilest of men, though they cry against you, if you walk strictly and closely with God, you will gain respect and reverence from their hearts, in spite of their hearts. Sadly, the reason the people of God and the church in general 
does not gain such respect and esteem is because they do not often walk in a manner of holiness. Indeed, men may deceive themselves, thinking that walking strictly is ignored, condemned, and or ridiculed, and so they give a little here, and they give a little there, and they compromise here, and they lighten up there until they lose all that should be present in their calling. Living and walking in a manner more loosely and less strictly in communion with Yahweh does little to nothing to gain respect and the esteem, nor does it fulfill the function of being the image bearer to the world. It becomes a false witness. Walking in a strict manner may incite and anger their lusts outwardly, but it will be much more convincing to their consciousness inwardly. Being in close communion with the Father, abiding in close fellowship with the Son, living and showing forth that holiness given to you by the adoption of Yahweh will cause you to be the image bearer of Yahweh to the world that you are set aside to be. Paul prayed similarly for the saints in Thessalonica, saying, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, it should be a concern to us all that as much as possible, we strive and set hard to the task to make efforts that we honor the holiness bestowed upon us by our Heavenly Father. Because through it, we reveal the holiness and the honor of that Father to those around us. May we, like Paul and the saints of his time, be able to boldly proclaim and echo the prayer and say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It concerns all of us as saints of God, called to be his holy people, that we honor holiness ourselves, as well as set as well as to set up the glory of Yahweh's holiness as much as we can in the world. Let us labor to be holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. Let us pray, as we are told in Psalm 90, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. The beauty of God is his holiness. Let us seek to have his holiness upon us. Converse with Yahweh more and more, that you may grow in his holiness. Moses spent 40 days conversing with Yahweh on the mountain and afterwards his face was shining. Seek that constant conversation with the Father that his holiness would likewise show on our faces for all to see. Show forth the beauty of his holiness to others that they may say, if one beam of holiness is so delightful in a person, how much more glorious in holiness must their God himself be? It can be a telling proof that people do not know God when they turn quick, when they can turn his service off so easily. Knowing Yahweh will put you in another frame of mind for sure. If you know God in his holiness, you will look upon the service of Yahweh as a great service. You would gladly serve a holy God. The holiness of Yahweh also means he hates sin. So what is the reason that God, though we have so much uncleanness in us, is to be pleased to be reconciled to us and will admit us into his presence? Why would he let one such as us into his presence 
to give us hope to see his face with the joy with joy for all eternity. It is because we have a mediator. Was it not for that? We could weep streams of blood from our eyes, and Yahweh would not change, but would hate and abhor us in his holiness. His wrath would eternally seize us. Therefore, while we may rejoice in inherent holiness, we must let our hearts look particularly upon the perfect holiness of Christ and offer that up to God. Though we have uncleanness in ourselves and all, and all of our duties, take comfort that we do not have to deal with it on our own, but through Christ. It is only in and through him that we have liberty to come to the Father and look upon his face with, face with boldness. Consider it a great mystery of the gospel that even with the infiniteness of Yahweh's holiness, there is a way for polluted creatures to look upon our Lord with joy. If you are not acquainted with the Lord in this way of reconciliation, then you will be undone forever. Be reconciled. Seek frequent communion with the Father. Sit and look into the face of His holiness and let the beauty of the holiness shine upon you until you reflect it to the world around you. Make frequent use of Christ in this reconciliation that the glory of Yahweh's holiness may not be to your terror, but to your comfort. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is, is holy, you must you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word. We just pray, Lord, that you would help us to honor you in all that we do, to seek to commune with you as much as we can to meditate upon you in your mighty ways. Help us, Lord, to be the creation that you would have us to be. And help us to honor you in all things. Amen.